Welcome to Everything Life Coaching with John Kim and Noel Cardo, founders of Journey Coaching. If you're inspired to begin your own life coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit journey.co. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O. Hey guys, on today's episode, we're going to talk about embodying an open stance for non-judgment. Noel, that's a long title. It's important. Um, how can we shorten that? Oh, that's a really great question. Not that you want to, but um, I have this weird thing where I everything has to be two words. And you know what? Sometimes maybe it shouldn't be two words. Yeah. And I... I I use too many words most of the time. Oh, so I think that's perfect. Let's think, let's meet in the middle today. I think we can meet in the middle. How about just opening a stance of non-judgment? Ooh, opening a stance for non-judgment. That is what the episode is going to be about today. And of course, you know how. We're we're, we're always interested in um, how to do something since we're a coaching company, right? So we're not just talking about it, but we're talking about how you can do that. Yeah. And, you know, right now, kind of looking out into the world, we have the global pandemic, we Mm -hmm. have the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. that's taking place and growing beautifully. And I think a lot of folks are struggling to see, well, how, how can I exist in this space? What do I personally need to do? And one of the skills that we learn in coaching that is so very valuable and can be applied here is the skill of self-regulation in order to support a stance of non-judgment. And I think that those terms can be misleading at the outset because when we're saying, you know, self-regulate and hold a stance of non-judgment, it may mistakenly imply that there's not action on the other side of that. And that's absolutely not what we're talking about. We're talking about this space of a pause that enables us to use our brains to a fuller capacity to engage in critical thinking that supports action. Right. Right. And you know, a lot of people, they don't really know what self-regulation means. Um, you know, we use the word self, uh, self-care, self-love, self-compassion a lot. Um, what exactly is self-regulation? What do you mean by that? Self-regulation is the acknowledgement that when we first take in information, whether it's a conversation that we're having with someone in front of us or we're reading something, whether it's a book or social media or we're watching television, however we're taking in information, our first automatic responses to whatever it is that we're observing or consuming are going to, from a factually based empirical perspective, be mired with um, bias. Mm -hmm. And that our first take usually isn't the best take. And our first response usually isn't the best response. And we can serve each other better and more completely as humans by creating space to give us a chance to have a better response. So this space that you're talking about is usually really small because it hasn't been stretched uh, because our brains um, are so old. Correct. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. And, you know, circling 
back to the work of coaching, coaching is a partnership. Mm -hmm. And so talking about this stuff is implicit in the work of coaching. You cannot have a true partnership with a client where the client leads and the coach and client co-create without building your self-regulation muscle, without building this space for you to inhabit as a coach. And it really will bleed into all other aspects of your life and help you to show up as your best self in the way that you want to. Yeah, I think one of the the greatest gifts of coaching is that um, because you're going to learn the tools and you're going to practice uh, holding space and, and, and practicing non-judgment, uh, it's only going to ripple into all your relationships. So in your relationships, you're just going to be more self-actualized. You're going to have more awareness because you've learned these tools from coaching. Yes. And, and it has outcomes. So from a coaching perspective, you know, these things are both behavioral markers that show coaching skill and also outcomes of getting really comfortable with holding this space. You're able to demonstrate respect for your client's perceptions, the way that your client sees the world. Mm -hmm. You're able to demonstrate respect for their learning style and the way that they show up, their personal being. Um, Taking that space allows you as a coach to provide ongoing support for your clients to take risks Mm -hmm. and move into new ways of being, new behaviors, new actions, um, and really specifically creating that space to not give in to a universal fear of failure that I think both coach and client sometimes feel. Yeah. And I like this um, this piece about asking for permission, you know, Mm -hmm. um, of the client. Uh, and this is something that we don't do uh, in in quote unquote real life is when we're having a conversation with someone and we're trying to create a safe space for them, uh, we rarely ask that person for permission, you know, to say something, to ask something. We usually just unload on the person. Oh, yeah. And asking permission is a coaching skill. It's a coaching competency. It's one of the things that the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, looks for as a core skill. And what this looks like would be, you know, if you and I are having a conversation and I notice that you sound upset, instead of just rolling on like a train and saying, John, what's the matter? What's going on with you? You know, I would say, hey, I think I'm picking up on some emotion in your voice. A, am I right? And Mm -hmm. B, do I have your permission to even go there with you? You know, when you ask someone for permission, and I just kind of felt this as I was listening to you. you're actually indirectly saying that you matter. Yes. Yes. You know, that's the feeling you get. Yeah. Like, and especially if, if you're someone who um, in life and in, in upbringing uh, with friendships and all your relationships, uh, no one ever asked for your opinion or permission. They just, you know, told you theirs. Um, and if you're used to that, when someone, uh, a coach um, or anyone that asks, you know, Hey, can, can I, can I say this or can I present this to you in this way? Um, there's something really refreshing about that. There's some, it's like milk, you know, emotional milk. Oh yeah. I, I find so much freedom in it Yeah, because it, you know, it, I, you're absolutely right. It shows a diehard respect for the person on the other end. And it also um, opens up the very real possibility that the answer may be no that somebody might not be in a good space to take on you and whatever you have to say and your feedback at any given moment. And 
being able to, you know, have that be true builds your muscles as a coach and as a human because it's not about you. Yeah. And someone not overriding your no is also uh, refreshing and safe and makes you feel important. I value so much the relationships in my life where that can be true, Mm -hmm. where somebody can say, hey, do you want to talk about it? And I can say, actually, no, (laughs) I don't. And just, you know, what I really need is pizza and a bottle of wine. Can we do that instead? (laughs) Like, you know, it's, it's, it's putting the person that you care about in the driver's seat and it's showing that you care by putting them in the driver's seat. I think it's Katie Byron. I'm not sure, but she does a whole workshop on the power of no, and she teaches you um, how to say no uh, and not have to have an explanation, but actually just just to say no and end with a period, which is so hard for for everyone to do because um, when we say no, you know, up comes guilt and 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 feeling responsible and all of that. But um, just to actually say no in a kind way and and leave it at that. That practice itself is really hard. That's really hard. And, you know, just kind of getting into it, um, it, it's so layered with intersectionality, you know, certain aspects of our population and the perspective that the only perspective that I'm qualified to speak from is that of being a a woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that gets overrun for me all the time is just that boundary of no. And even as a leader, even as a CEO, when I say no, I I mean it. And yeah. very often folks don't take that as true. Um, and it's it's it, it's mind-boggling to me and it tips me off like, oh my gosh, there must be so many deeper thresholds that other people experience that I don't because of my privilege and like, whoa. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, um, leading communities, we both have communities, um, being a teacher, uh, you know, being active on social media. So you're getting a lot of people um, asking for things constantly. And so you, uh, someone who's very kind and, and always pulling from your heart, um, it must be really hard to say no. <laughs> that must be a journey in itself. Well, it's also a really wonderful growth point in learning because I, it, it, has go- it has caused me to become very conscientious and very intentional mm-hmm. with um, – with what I need to give, what I'm responsible to give, what I'm willing to give. And there's a lot of like really genuine beauty in that. If someone has taken the time to reach out to me or to write to me, and and this is really, I think, a great entry point to what we're talking about with opening up and holding space. And, And thank you for bringing up the point of social media because just because I and you are heads of a community, we are uniquely subject to it, but everybody is subject to it mm-hmm. right now. Um, that there's just so many sound bites flying around and flashes in the pan and um, perceptions of individuals who have whole and complex lives, right? So um, when someone reaches out to me, where I'm at right now is um, a stance of of gratitude, quite honestly, because the person in front of me has cared enough about themselves, about me, about our organization to put their own um, anxiety or fear aside and to, to craft words and to have empathy to know that if somebody's putting together a message for you, 
it took a toll on them to do so. Mm-hmm. And so just baseline gratitude and humility is, is where I come from. Um, and then, you know, after that, it's, it's, it's recognizing in myself that whatever my first reaction is, is not a good response that I need to dial it back because my brain runs on a track that needs to make sense of my reality and protect my reality rather than stretch and look for the truth of my reality. Guys, you see what Noelle is doing? She is brilliantly swaying the conversation to now start talking about her favorite topic, the brain. Yes, I did that. <laughs> yes, which is, which is also a great coaching tool. Um, it was seamless. I barely noticed it, but it's only because I know her so well. And so now we're going to go from uh, talking about your no to now system one and system two, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yes, it is fascinating. And this work comes from um, Daniel Kahneman. And he is an Israeli-American psychologist and Nobel Prize winner. And he has come up with a really wonderful way to understand ourselves in context. We run on two systems. There's system one and system two. System one is the reaction piece. System one is Mm -hmm. fast. It doesn't take any effort. It flows from you. It just shows up. There's no self-awareness in system one. It's uncontrolled. It's automatic. And it's just kind of like when we say, oh, I verbally vomited on somebody, that's that system one. Um, System one is most of your 20s. (laughs) uh, System one is, is most of your 20s. And it's also most of adulthood, quite honestly. I think kids are better at system two. Um, System two is slow. It's effortful. It's awareness. It's control. It's reflective. And, you know, back to the, the kid analogy, think about a little kid who sees a bug for the first time and follows that bug around a yard with open curiosity of what the heck is this thing? Where is it going? There's awareness there. There's control. It's reflective. It's slow. It's effortful. Adults lose that magic and are just like, me, me, mine. Where's my castle? I'm the king. You know what? It's because kids um, at that age have they've not been uh, stains with judgment. They 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 haven't been you know also ticking clocks and a lot of should so uh, which create fear. So those kids are just pure curiosity, <laughs> curious, mm-hmm. you know, pure curiosity, yeah. and 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 without attachment to being right. And I think that that's right. really the crux of things. Is is little kids haven't learned that rightness is something that they they need to glom on to for psychological protection. Yeah. So where do these systems live in our brain? They live in the very old parts of our brain. And talking about uh, the protective quality of it, you know, the how did we get here piece mm-hmm. is, okay, so once upon a time, 500 million years ago, when our primitive brain was evolving. That's the reptilian complex, the reptilian brain. If you weren't right, if you were in fact wrong, you died. Like it was, it was pretty straightforward. If you made the wrong choice, like you died. And so we need to understand at baseline that that construct has set up this really weird thing in the human brain where when you're right about something, you feel great. 
And when you're wrong about something, you feel pain. Your pain centers are activated. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the setup. That's the landscape. Right equals euphoria. Wrong equals pain. And we are all subject to it all the time. This is system one thinking, uh, eating, sleeping, fight or flight, sex. Um, and then, you know, as we evolved, our brains didn't swap out one for the other. Actually, they kind of grew on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So the next brain is your limbic brain. That's 200 million years old. That's your emotional headquarters. And I thought it was so interesting. We inherited this from larger mammals like apes and horses. And it, and just listening to that, I was like, oh my gosh, horses have similar emotional headquarters to humans. Um, fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, you know, humans like to think of themselves as special. We're really not. <laughs> We're just one species. Right. <laughs> And and this emotional brain, this emotional headquarters shares the system when thinking of needing to be right. And this part of our brain, our limbic brain, our emotional brain is where bias lives. Mm -hmm. And um, this is the part of our brain that unless we are careful and harness awareness and self-regulation runs the show the majority of the time. Yeah. And so... What's so then what's the part of your brain that's the newest? What's the part of the brain that we can uh, um, and I know it's the rational brain uh, that we can start to uh, grow, feed, you know, um, exercise. So uh, we're not um, using the uh, brain that is 200 million years old. But only, yeah. but only 100 million years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 called the neocortex, mm. and it, you know it's it is 100 million years old. And what's really interesting about the neocortex is when you look at an actual picture of the brain. So if you guys want to Google this, it's uh it's your reptilian, your limbic, and your neocortex, and they're stacked on top of each other like Legos, except the neocortex is huge. It wraps the limbic brain. It wraps your reptilian brain and it forms like this this huge knotty cushion around all of it um and we only use a really 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 small part of it so if you think about god we're so not even remotely evolved to our full capacities we live mostly in the 200 million year old room of our brain and we actually live in a mansion that we have rooms we don't even know exists. Mm. We haven't accessed them yet. Right. Um, and those are all of the rooms in our rational brain, which is system two thinking, the slow part of our brain that that asks questions, that has curiosity like a kid that doesn't need to be right, that doesn't hold judgment, that seeks truth rather than survival. And that's a really powerful juxtaposition. What if we as a species were to begin seeking truth instead of survival? Truth over survival. That's really interesting. I love that. I love I love that turning of a dial in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do we start to practice uh, living on on system two instead of system one? Yeah, just like all things, awareness is the key to everything. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate you and our listeners so much because we get to present this science to people and, and just really say, all right, guys, you know, what do you think? This is the way your brain works. We're all living in our own reality. You know, we're not immune to it. And we're all really subject to that system one right now. Yeah. Um, 
I know that I talk about social media all the time, but I've been especially reflective uh, on social media recently because social media straight up triggers your system one thinking. It triggers your emotional headquarters. It triggers your reptilian brain fight or flight complex all day long. So if you're spending your time scanning Instagram or Facebook and getting into flame wars, you're just literally limiting your capacity to move into your rational brain, to move into the fact checker that you're fully capable of, but you're just saying, nope, I want my sound bites. And I'm really freaked out and scared that humanity is stunting its own intellectual and evolutionary growth because we're relying on so much technology that doesn't let us actually use our brains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the concept of the old versus the new. I use it a lot uh, in coaching when it comes to uh, who we used to be and who we want to be. And I love that system one and system two, it really is that literally it's the old brain and, and the new brain. And so when you think about you being um, a, a new version of yourself, you know, evolving, growing and, and, and no longer living in the past, uh, then, then think about awareness and think about system two instead of system one. And maybe that'll be helpful. Yeah. And, and a trick here is like, if you suddenly find yourself enraged, right? Like you're, you're, it's you and your phone in a room and you suddenly find yourself enraged. That's a pretty good tip off that, hmm, you know, something might be going on here. It seems like my fight or flight has been kicked off because mm -hmm. I'm suddenly feeling enraged and dare I say unreasonable. Um, and you know, the thing to know here is that that need to avoid danger is what's driving us. Yeah. So as we internalize these responses to information, we are, they're almost always factually incorrect. Like literally almost always are factually incorrect and our brain doesn't care. System one wants repetitive information over factual information. And that, again, is this leftover 200 million year old instinct to be right so you don't die. It's not serving us anymore. Yeah. Everything Noel said to create uh, an openness and uh, a space for non judgment. And I think, if anything, this is what. Well, not if anything, but I think this is what the world needs so much right now. So whether you are coaching yeah. or you're, you know, you're engaging with your partner, friends, family, uh, and also yourself, um, being open and creating a space of non-judgment, I think, is everything right now. So. Oh yeah. yeah. And you know, I, you know, we threw a lot of science at you guys, a lot of terms of the brain, but if if I'm really going to bottom line it, it would be to give yourself the gift of peace by stepping back. Ooh, I like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that when you step back, when you notice, when you pause, when you move slow, when you ask questions. No, I mean number one, if you guys are coaches, this is literally what you need to be doing in session. Um, and you, and when you when you when you're intentionally operating from a fact driven perspective, um, this is what's required to build skill and evolve that rational brain. And there is personal freedom in it because you're not stuck with an emotional hangover or with a, a vulnerability hangover based on, you know, something that wasn't even real in the first place. Yeah. Noel, thank you for being here. Um, I love the dialogue we, we create. I think it's so important. All right, guys, practice this and be well. We'll catch you next time. Ready to cut through the BS of becoming a coach? 
Snag John and Noelle's six-step guide to becoming a life coach at journey.co slash everything. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O slash everything. If what you've heard here today speaks to you and you want to learn a little bit more about becoming a coach, visit journey.co, J-R-N-I dot C-O. We've graduated nearly a thousand coaches and offer vibrant community, strong lifetime support, and world-class coaching education. We're fully ICF accredited and look forward to watching how you use coaching to make a bigger impact in the world around you.